the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on Support the Show. Thank you to all of you who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. Hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be welcoming Jim Collins. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. To tell you a little bit about our guest, Jim Collins, he is a Texas-born, Nashville-based hit songwriter. He's a live performer. He's cut a record, and he's perhaps most known for the songs that he wrote recorded by other artists. Just to give you a little bit of a tour, Kenny Chesney's Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, she thinks my tractor's sexy, the good stuff, and some others. Then there would be George Strait, It Just Comes Natural, Jason Aldean, Big Green Tractor, Chad Brock, Yes. Some of you all might remember that song. It's a great song. There's a lot more, but I, I could just keep on going. Jim Collins, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Well, first and foremost, I want to tell everybody that there is an upcoming chance where people can see you, Jim Collins, live, and that's at the 20th Annual John Gerard Foundation Concert. That's going to be October 23rd, 2021, in Gainesville, Georgia. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's, I've done it one other time several years ago with uh, the legendary Dan Penn and uh, Donnie Fritz, and uh, it was awesome. It was a heck of a night. Uh, I'll never forget it. This one's going to be it's a, it's going to be a strong show, man. We got Dean Dillon, who's you know I don't know how many hits he's had on George Strait, but just about all of them. Just comes naturally. Let me have that one, but I think he wrote all the rest of them. And then uh, Matresa Berg, who uh, is one of my dearest friends, uh, she wrote Strawberry Wine, uh, X's and O's, and uh, so many incredible songs, you know, over the years. Uh, Matresa and I actually got nominated for a Grammy together on a song called I Don't Feel Like Loving You Today that Gretchen Wilson recorded. So, Well, Bruce Birch told me this year's lineup. He said it's going to be we only he said we only have three. We have Dean Dillon, Jim Collins, Matresa Berg. I said, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It Great is. Lineup. And honestly, it kind of gives me a chance to play a little, a few more songs, you know, because a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, you only, you might get to play four or five songs at the most in a, in a bigger round, you know, and I've got a lot of, a lot of songs that I never really get to play. So it'll be fun to kind of pull those out and, and uh, see if I still remember them, you know. Is there a kinship that songwriters have with one another? I think so. You know, I think we're all a little wacky, but, uh, you know, I mean, we had to be crazy enough to move to Nashville, you know, from I lived in Texas and I, I had a band down in Texas and we were uh, probably the most successful band in Texas when I was there. And uh, I, at one point I just decided, Hey, I'm going to give it a shot. I didn't know anybody in Nashville. And, and so we all kind of have that in common, you know, maybe we were a little hometown heroes or whatever, but, uh, you know, uh, it takes a little bit of uh, crazy to to make a, a decision like that. Now, Matresa is actually born and raised in Nashville. She's the only person I actually know who was born and raised in Nashville, you know, but, you know, it was 
I think we all have that. You know, I've known Dean a long time. Dean actually lived with me for a month or so. So he's, in my opinion, he's the best songwriter that's, uh, you know, been here in the last, I don't know, 50 years. You know, he's, he's one of, he's just one of those rare, he's, he's up there at Dean, like Dean's up there with like Bob Dylan and people like that. You know, he's that good. It's occurred to me a few times that the fact that Dean Dillon's last name is Dillon is not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. Maybe there's some kind of brothers or something. What has always been the purpose of the art, the songwriting that you create? That's a hard question. I, I don't know. I mean, I just uh, I've always written songs. I've been doing it since I was uh you know, since I was a kid, really, my mom said when I was, you know, four or five years old, I'd be singing some melody in the backseat of the car. And she'd say, what's that? And I just made it up, mom. I just made it up. And so I just think it's something that I've always done. The Beatles were a big influence on me growing up when I was young. And, you know, I heard all these incredible songs. And then I found out, golly, they wrote those songs, you know. And and so it kind of made me want to do that, too. It's funny, I, I was playing a show down in Texas with my band before I moved to town, and I opened up for uh, the group Shenandoah, and um, Shenandoah had had several hits, and I just decided that night to play a bunch of my songs, and they, after the show, they sent a message for me that they wanted to talk to me on the tour bus, and it was them, actually, that said, man, you need to move to Nashville, those songs are, are really good. And, uh, you know, in those days, I wrote 100% by myself. Uh, there's a lot more co-writing going on here in Nashville these days. But, but uh, you know, it's just something I've always done. Can you remember the first time you ever went to Nashville? What was going through your head? What you were feeling? Uh, boy, it was a lot different in those days. It was back in the 80s. I, I had a, I started putting out little independent records, you know, for myself, you know, and uh a couple of them started getting a little traction, getting a little attention, and uh, I got invited to do. Uh, remember the Nashville Network, the old TNN days? They had a show called Nashville Now. Ralph Emery was the host of the show, and I got invited on the show, and I played that night. I remember it was it was live. It was a national nationally televised show live so i i kept thinking oh my god i if i make i hope i don't forget a, a line or something i was nervous and and i hardly ever get nervous but but uh farron young was on that show and he helped me through <laughs> he got me through it somehow and you know he's an old pro or or was an old pro and uh and i did that show and after i did it they kept inviting me back so i wound up doing about 13 of those uh ralph emory shows and then i did a another show for tnn called New Country, which was uh, promoting a new album that I had put out on an independent label, you know. And in those days, you know, an independent artist might get on a on a show like that, but I don't know if that would happen today, but, you know. Can you remember the first time you wrote with someone else, a co-writing situation? I know, because it wound up being a hit. I, well, actually, that, that's I'll take that back. I wrote with Bruce Birch. I wrote oh, first song I ever wrote in my life, co-wrote in my life was with Bruce Birch. That did that was not a hit. But when I moved to town in 1995, I'd only been in town for about, I don't know, two or three weeks. There was a band playing at this club and I went out there uh, to this club and they had a pool table. And um, 
I recognized somebody or somebody recognized me and invited me over to play pool with them. And uh, there was this guy named uh, D. Vincent Williams. And um, I found out uh, David, his name's David, but he he was from Lufkin, Texas, which is 20 miles from my hometown. And so he was younger than me, but we struck up a friendship. And after uh, we shot pool for a while, I, he said, uh, man, let's get our guitars. And so we went and got our guitars and went over to my little apartment at the time. And and we just started talking about, you know, growing up in East Texas. And I found out his dad worked at a, the same company my dad did in but way back when. And before my dad started his own company, my dad was on the machine shop. He was a machinist. Anyway, we started talking about our dads and I just kept had this image in my head, my head of my dad coming home and his hands would be all beat up and greasy and cut up, you know, from the working on the machines. And, and so we wrote a song called hands of a working man and Ty Herndon recorded it and it wound up going to number three in the country. So that was my first song I wrote in Nashville. So, you know, and that was the first one that was, it was also the first one that got recorded. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I mean, I, I remember thinking, God, this is easy, you know, because <laughs> we wrote this song and immediately it got recorded and straight up the charts, you know, you know, so, uh, but that was my first song I wrote in town. Yeah. What's it like the first time you listen to something that you wrote and here's a major artist and you're listening for the first time to that recording. Man, it's it's pretty special. I, I it's funny. I had this single out on John Michael Montgomery, and uh, I've been my wife and I've been married for forty years. So we she's been with me from the beginnings. I mean, when we didn't have anything, you know, we we're playing. I'm playing gigs, you know, hundred dollars a night, whatever I could make. And I remember, you know, I did a lot of cool things, all the TV shows that I did, and she never really seemed to get all that excited about that. But then one night, she got to hear. John Michael Montgomery playing my song. And oh my God, she was calling the family. John Michael Montgomery singing Jim's song. I mean, it was a big, it was a big deal. So yeah, the first time I ever heard uh, one of my songs in my car, you know, driving into town, I, it was pretty special. I had to pull off the road and just listen to it. You know, it's pretty cool. You mentioned a, f- a few moments ago, our mutual friend, Bruce Birch. Mm-hmm. And- there's pretty much nobody in Nashville who does not know Bruce Birch. Oh, gosh. He's <laughs> one of the nicest guys in the world. And my first publishing deal was that, like I said, things happened really fast for me. I got signed to, as a, got a writing deal as a, as a professional songwriter three months after I moved to town. And it was at EMI. EMI is where the Beatles publisher was EMI. And, uh, and uh, Bruce, he he had the his job. He worked at EMI, and his job was to pitch all the old catalog, like you know, like the old stuff that had been sitting around. And so I'd write a song, and then I'd go up that afternoon and hang out with Bruce, and we'd drink beer and listen to old demos of like you know Chris Christopherson and people like that. I mean, it was awesome, man. We uh, I remember he played this uh, Chris Christopherson demo. And and you could hear him and his buddies in the studio, and they're all talking. And he go, 
all right, y'all be quiet. And Eddie Hip start playing that acoustic guitar. You know, y'all be quiet now. And he start going busted flat and Baton Rouge. You know, he'd start playing Bobby McGee. You're just going, holy cow, man. I mean, you know, so Bruce, Bruce and I both have a real love for music, you know, old stuff and the new stuff and, you know, and, and uh, we, we're, we just, we've always been really good friends. <laughs> and you, you managed to really describe the, heart, I guess, of Bruce Birch. The first time I met him, I have vivid memories. We met at this coffee shop in Gainesville, and mm. we were sitting there. It was like we planned on being there for an hour. We ended up talking for like three or four, and he, has this, <laughs> he had this white bin full of demos, and he was like, all right, just one more. I'm going to play you one more. Now, listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, he, he's, you know, and he's never lost that, you know, and, and I think you know, I, I when looking back when I moved to town, I think you know I was I had been playing live shows for you know years, and I was kind of burned out. You know, I, I mean, I was just on the whole shows doing live, you know, the honky tonk circuit and all that stuff. And uh, when I moved to Nashville and got around people like Bruce, and I kind of rediscovered the love for the music that I had kind of think, I think I had kind of lost for a little while. And I mean, and all of a sudden I was that kid again that, you know, used to sit in the room in my, my room with a bass guitar and learn all the songs that, you know, off all the albums and stuff. And, and, uh, and so I have a picture I have in my office that, that, uh, it's just a picture of me back when I was like 16, 17 year rock, rock and roll days, long hair and I'm playing and I always look at that and I go, I want to always be that guy, you know, cause that, that guy loved it all. He was wanted to, he had an open mind. He was willing to experiment and, you know, and, and just was will, fearless going, let's go there, you know? And, uh, and so, um, coming here to Nashville and being around all these artists that, uh, and, and people like that, they, they, they just kind of, we kind of feed off of each other, you know, it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's just so different here. I just love it. I love it here. I can see all these awards behind you. BMI. Awards. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, this, this room has the best light. So I thought <laughs> I'd come in here, but yeah, I've, I've been really lucky, man. I've had, I've written songs of the year and I've been nominated for award, Grammys and stuff like that. So for a, a little kid from a, I grew up on a dairy farm in Nacogdoches, Texas. It's a long way from Nacogdoches. So yeah, <laughs> it's, I've been really blessed. Yeah. Well, could you say that one of your songs, you know, for sure, this one's the most successful in terms of it. It's just well, it sold the most units. Probably she thinks my tractor's sexy. Just you know, it's a novelty song. We wrote it in forty-five minutes. Just me and Paul Overstreet wrote it, just having fun. But the first, the album sold five million copies, and it was on a greatest hit that sold another five million copies, and then it was on a live album that sold two or three million copies, and and then of course it's still getting airplay. It's considered a standard now, and BMI <laughs> considers it a standard. And uh, but then I had songs like The Good Stuff uh, was a seven week number one song of the year. Um, Are You Going to Kiss Me or Not was another big song that I had on Thompson Square. That was a, a multi week number one. And it was it was a iTunes song of the year. And uh, it was nominated for a Grammy. And 
some other, you know, awards. I can't remember, you know, <laughs> but uh, those are all really, really big, big songs, you know. So one of the things about she thinks my tractor's sexy country fan or not. Everybody knows that song. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, we were just kidding around, cutting up. But the, the reason I think that song worked is I think you could tell we were having fun. It kind of came through the, the, the music, but, but uh, it was an original idea. It was, there had never been another one. And those are the songs that seem to, you know, stand out. Of, um, you know, there's so many songs coming out all the time. And but a song like that, you you know, they're, they they really stand out because they're, you know, it's an original thought, you know. And uh, uh, I remember Dennis, me and me and Bruce used to listen to Dennis Lindy a lot. And Dennis Lindy uh, was a kind of a quirky song, a songwriter. He wrote Hunk of Burning Love for Elvis. He wrote uh, John Deere Green. Uh, he had a song called Janie Baker's Love Slave. <laughs> you know, he had these wag. He wrote Goodbye Earl, Calling Baton Rouge. And all those songs, the thing, there's not two of them. There's only one Calling Baton Rouge. There's only one Goodbye Earl. My favorite one he ever had was a song called uh, Praise the Lord and Pass the Copperhead. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was just a brilliant guy and i was kind of going through a dennis lindy kind of phase i wanted to write something that nobody else had ever written and uh anyway that idea came up and we wound up writing it well bruce always says you have had good luck with songs with tractor in the title <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I I kept from writing one for about 15 years. And one day I was writing with David Lee Murphy and David Lee Murphy came in my office and he goes, hey, man, you wouldn't be willing to write another tractor song with you, would you? And I said, I'm not sure the world's ready for another tractor song there, David. And he goes, oh, I think they are. And he talked me into it. And, and we came up with Big Green Tractor. And of course, it was a multi-week number one, too, on Jason Aldean. Might be a tough question, but is there a song from your catalog doesn't even have to have been recorded that means the most to you? Yes, a song called "Then They Do." That was a it was a hit on on Trace Atkins. I wrote it for my daughter. It was a, her her boyfriend at the time called me and asked me if he could marry my daughter, and so. Uh, after I hung up the phone, uh, uh, got the idea for then they do. And, and the idea of the song is, you know, you, you can't wait for them to grow up, but then they do. And, and that's how it is. And so, so, and Trace did a great job. He, he called me and asked me if he could put his daughter's name in the song, which was fine. You know, I told him to make it his own, but, uh, it, it was, it was a top five song. It went to, I don't know, number three, something like that. But, uh, a lot of people would think that the good stuff would be the song, you know, that I would say, but, but that song, I sang it at my daughter's wedding and, you know, so. Being that you're from Texas originally, was there any special meaningfulness when George Strait recorded something oh. you wrote? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't go home without getting a George Strait cut. I mean, I tried for years. I, I tried to write, you know, the chair verse, some come, some kind of version of the chair, you know, like every every possible way that I could, and, uh, and it was funny because like th just uh, just comes natural was a uh, the demo sounds like Tom Petty. I mean, it's like a, it's a rocking 
song and uh and it's kind of a, a outside the box kind of a song too lyrically and uh, i i never dreamed george Strait would pick that one of all in fact when my co-writer wrote it with a guy named marv green and uh marv called me and says hey man george Strait cut our song i i kind of didn't believe him and i hung up and i called him back and i said did he really cut us i couldn't believe it and then when it was like they said it was going to be a single you know i was like well there you go i mean so it's funny you know as a songwriter you try to you know when you're trying to write something for somebody hardly ever works but when you just write a song from the heart and you don't worry about all that stuff that's when the magic happens because you're not you're not trying to aim it at anybody you're just going where the idea takes you you know and those are the best songs you know it just comes natural it's just it is a fantastic song thank you man thank you i love it i hope you do it on uh the 20 i'll do it i, I there's a <laughs> lot of times i don't do it because it's you know it's an up-tempo song and sometimes it doesn't work with just a guitar you know but i've lately i've started putting it in the show because i do have a lot of people that tell me they like they like the song and so and there's a lot of George Strait fans out there. I've got Scotty McCreary's new single. It just it's coming out real soon, and it's called "Damn Straight" is the name of it. But it's S T R A I T, like George Strait. So cool. it's a little twist on the it's a twist of on a, on an idea. But anyway, so yeah, it, being being from Texas, you know, I I don't think I could have gone home without having a George Strait cut. You know, in fact, I remember uh, I would call my dad. And uh, I'd say, hey, uh, Dad, uh, the good stuff just went number one. It's song of the year, seven week number one. He goes, well, that's good, son. He says, has George Strait ever cut any of your songs? And I said, well, no, sir. And he said, well, keep trying. And and he would tell me that. And then finally, I get a George Strait cut. And I, I call him up, say, Dad, I got a George Strait cut. Oh, that's great, son. Uh, has Alan Jackson ever recorded any? I mean, you know, he just, you know, and and he doesn't know. He he was just he's like, and like, who else are you gonna go write a song for? You know, he didn't. He thought it was easy, evidently. But. Huh. Well, did you ever meet King George? No, I've I've been in I've been to event events with him, uh, but I've never sat down and talked to him. I, I know his. I've talked to his manager a couple of times. Yeah, I never never got to actually visit with George Strait, and he cut a couple of my songs. So now I've I've had a couple of George cuts since then, but he, uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to meet him just to just to just to say I did, you know. So. Hmm. Well, kind of to mirror what your dad was saying. Well, have you? What about Alan Jackson? Have you ever had him cut cut one? I'm curious. Is there anyone who yeah. has eluded you? Blake Shelton. Blake Shelton's never I'm, cut one. No, and I'm I'm trying. I'm trying hard. I you know I'm still trying, and and uh, hopefully I just, I just love everything he cuts, you know, and and hopefully someday I'll get one. But you know, uh, uh, almost all of I've had cuts on. You know, I mean, I, I, you can't tell on this wall, but I've I've had a lot of lot of big lot of big records, you know. And but he's the one I've he's probably the one I've probably wanted the most that I haven't been able to get. So. Well, we've been mentioning this concert. It's going to be the 20th annual John Gerard Foundation mm -hmm. concert. Always a, a great time. I really recommend people, you know, even if you have to travel, I, I would travel three or four hours, maybe five for, for this. October 23rd in Gainesville, Georgia. What is it like from your perspective to perform for an audience? 
Oh, I mean, you know, I, I sit in a room rhyming stuff all day long and I don't get anybody applauding when I'm finished with it. So it's nice to, you know, it's nice to be able to get, you know, response. Uh, let you, It just lets you know that you, you know, you're on the right track. Uh, and there's some magic that happens. And I wish, I honestly wish everybody could feel this when you're like, I was in Chicago. I did a show in Chicago. And, you know, I've, I've never been to Chicago up to that point. And I'm playing in this songwriter round in Chicago and the room is full of people and they were singing every word to every song I play. And so, I mean, that's a pretty magic thing, you know, to have to know that your songs, people know the words that you that you made up all over the country. You know, I played it. I played it in uh I played shows out in California and they sang along to every word. You know, it's just, I just wish everybody could feel that, you know, I mean, it's just, there's, it's, you can't describe it, you know. There's a song that I mentioned from the late nineties, and I'm just hoping you can touch on it a little bit. I think it's one of the most insanely catchy songs I've ever heard. And maybe some people don't remember it, but I remember it. Did you think you had something special when you were writing Yes? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that with Chad Brock. And uh, that was one of those songs, man. He, you know, he uh, he came in and uh, he said, man, I just want to write something. That was kind of like, a, you know, I'm building a cabinet for you. You know, he wanted a he wanted a song that was up tempo, that was hooky that uh the radio would play the fire out of and and uh and so i did my job i did you know but i, I remember uh there's actually a couple of really funny stories about that song it was my first number one but he came in and you know he's and he's telling him that's what he wanted and and so uh i said well what's been going on with you and he said well I just met a girl and i said oh really tell me about it you know and he goes well she moved into my old apartment and uh, she called me and said I had some mail there waiting for me. And and so I said, well, I'll come get it. And I met her and we started talking. And and if you remember the song, she moved into my old apartment. It's how we got this whole thing started. She called and told me I had mail waiting there for me. <laughs> I told her that I'd come and get it. How could I know in just a minute I'd be standing face to face with my own destiny? Anyway, so that was literally the first verse. So that's that's how we wrote the song. And uh, there was a line in the song, we get to the chorus, she said yes, and he wanted to say, I said, wow. And I said, man, w w wait, w I, I hate that line, uh, uh, Chad, I, I, let's, can we say, I said, all right. And he goes, no, man, I want to say, and, he, <laughs> and I couldn't get him to change the line, you know, and uh, of course, you know, it was a four week number one, so I guess he was right. So anyway, so he winds up, and then he had just met this girl, so, but the way the song was going, we we had to we had to get them together. They had to get married, right? You know. So she said yes. You know. I mean that 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 just was the obvious place the song had to go. And he was really nervous about it. So he winds up and he actually married the girl, right? <laughs> he, you know. And so 
we're the songs going up the charts. It's like top five, man, you know, and it's heading up the charts. And I called Chad and I said, man, we got a top five record. I said, how's the marriage going? He goes, oh, it's worst make biggest mistake I ever made in my life. You know, <laughs> and I said, well, Chad, you can't do anything right now, brother. I saw, you know, because the, the whole story of the song was about these two people getting together. So the day that song went number one, he filed for divorce. <laughs> now, that's funny. <laughs> he waited till it he waited till it went number one and then he filed for divorce but you know <laughs> so yeah but yeah but it was a it, you know having your first number one is a pretty big deal you know wow what a story <laughs> yeah i know i've got a lot of them i've been asked to write books you know i've got story i've got so many stories over the years you know but but uh chad was uh you know, we still stay in touch, you know, we, we still do. And, you know, we'll get a little royalty check every now and then, you know, he'll call me, man, you believe we're still getting paid a little, you know, a little bit on this song. And, and uh, but uh, he's doing, he's, a, he's like a, works at a radio station. I think now, I think he's doing that now in Florida, maybe. What is the best thing about being Jim Collins? Uh, being married to my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been married 40 years and she's, wow. uh, she's pretty special. You know, I wouldn't be here without her, you know, 40 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's 39. It's about to be 40 here coming <laughs> up. It just feels like 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you look young. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I think this business keeps you kind of young, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've I've written with a lot of like Bill, for instance, Bill Anderson. You know, Bill Anderson. He's I don't know how old he is, but he's up to getting up there, but he's still got that twinkle in his eye. You know. Yeah. And I, I think being I work with a lot of young, like a buddy told me one time. You know, songwriters get older, but the artists never do. You know, because they just keep you know they just keep coming in, and and so I work with a lot of really young artists, and I think they keep me keep me young. You know. Well, I always I always like to end the show very open-ended. I'm going to be seeing you on October 23rd. I can't wait to see that. But for anybody who's tuned in with us, what would you say to them? Totally open-ended. What would I say to them? Uh, just come out to the show. I think we'll have a good time. And if you hadn't heard Dean Dillon and Matresa Berg, you need to, man. It's magic. It's It's just magic. I'm actually, I've got the best seat in the house. I'll be up there with them. And I, I mean, main reason I'm going is to hear them, you know, so you'll, you'll enjoy it. It's going to be a fun show. Well, Jim Collins, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on here. Happy to do it. All right, sir. Well, I will see you soon. Okay. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right. Goodbye.